Welcome to the Simple Faith Podcast, exploring authentic Christianity for normal people. My name is Dave Betts, and together with my wife, Sherea, we're going to explore all the things that make our faith what it is. From looking at the big picture of the Bible to exploring the tough questions that might be getting in the way of your relationship with God. We're not going to use unnecessarily churchy language, and we're not pretending that we have all the answers. And the best bit, we'll never take more than 30 minutes of your time each week. We want to keep it simple and hopefully have some fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. This week, as we continue our series looking at churchy words for normal people, we're looking at God's sovereignty and what that means for us. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Simple Faith Podcast. Uh, I'm Dave, and today it's just me. Uh, my wife, Sherea, is uh, pregnant, and we are due to have a baby on December 27th. So we, as a bit of a test run, we're trying to see what it's like if I fly solo for an episode. So today we are looking at God's sovereignty. What does that mean? What is God's sovereignty? Uh, why is it relevant to us? Well, we're going to get there. I think what I want to do today is share a little bit from a message that I uh, preached last year in the UK. And we're going to structure it slightly differently, ready for a, a podcast format, but I hope that you find it helpful. Um, you'll find the show notes at simplefaithpodcast.com, or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube at Simple Faith Podcast. I think YouTube's on there anyway. Anyway, I wanted to start with a story before we, we get going that kind of sets up why God's sovereignty is so important. You know, I did uh, an internship year in 2009 to 2010 at Kerith Community Church in the UK, and it was an awesome year. I started to develop a really good friendship with one of the girls that was doing it with me. Her name was Annie. And you know, I want to be clear, there was nothing more than a friendship, but every month we had to travel to London for uh, some training, some theological training. And as we did it, we would set the world to rights and we would try to make sure that we were driving in a you know, a different car to our friend George, because although we loved him, he was one of those people who was just like constantly singing, like all the time. And now I actually miss it. I would love to hear George singing, but at the time, man, it was annoying. Anyway, at the end of that year of training going every month, we got to know each other pretty well. And we decided that as a, a group, we were going to go camping in Wales. And I was really looking forward to it until I realized I had to pull out at the last minute to finish uh, preparations for a missions trip that we were about to go on. And I, I was pretty sad, uh, but because I couldn't go, Annie drove instead in her mint green little hunk of junk. Um, it was a, a car that must've been older than she was. And we used to joke about Annie's um, like bold driving, but it, it stopped being funny that week. You know, there were four people in her car and it was pouring with rain uh, on those like windy, blustery Welsh country roads. And Annie hit a corner a bit too fast. And apparently she slipped a bit further out of the lines than she intended. And she hit an oncoming car head on. And at that moment, she died. You know, at 19 years old, she died. And I struggle with that because I feel like I was the one that was supposed to be driving, not not her. And often you will hear me talk about how God is incomprehensibly powerful and mighty and loving and good and unchanging and all-knowing and all-seeing and everywhere at once. We call those the attributes of God. And, and they're absolutely true. But if you're anything like me, 
you'll notice there's a serious tension there. If God is all those things that we've talked about, and he absolutely is, why would he allow Annie to die in a car crash at 19 years old? Did he save me from the crash or was that just a coincidence? How do we reconcile untimely deaths and sicknesses and broken homes and political turmoil and poverty and injustice and pandemics in this world? How do we reconcile all of that with an incomprehensibly powerful and good God? Well, you need to know that today we are not going to be able to answer that question completely fully. We're going to fall way short. But at some point in the future, we're planning on spending some time looking more at that question. How does God allow suffering? But I do believe that today we can go some way to to an answer that can at least bring some perspective to tough questions like the ones we've just asked. How do we reconcile those things? Well, I truly believe it comes down to, to God's sovereignty or to put it another way, knowing that God is far greater than we think. So today, as we continue our series, Churchy Words for Normal People, and look at God's sovereignty, here's our roadmap. Firstly, we're going to talk about how great God is. Then we're going to talk about how that impacts God's sovereignty, whatever that means. And then, of course, we'll talk about what both God's greatness and his sovereignty really means for us. So see you after the break. So before we define the word sovereignty and before we answer those tough questions that we talked about in the introduction there, I think we need to talk about how great God is. So let's talk about some of uh, his attributes. Firstly, God is eternal. That means that he's completely outside of time. You know, when the universe ends, the Bible says that God will just change it like a garment, but he will continue. He had no beginning and he will have no end. And that's that's a mind-blowing truth. I heard someone once say, it's kind of like, uh, you know how Mario is a 2D game, you know, old school Super Mario. And he goes from left to right and that's how he lives through life. Well, God is like in a 3D plane. He sees the end and he sees the beginning at the same time. And that's what we're like. We're like 2D characters compared to God who's in full 3D or 4D or whatever you want to think. So he's eternal. He's He, he sees time differently to us. God is also uh, self-existent. And what that means is that he doesn't need anything outside of himself. In the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is perfect love. And yet, Uh, amazingly, he chooses to welcome us into that love, which is amazing. He doesn't need it, but he chooses it, which is phenomenal. God is unchanging. And that means that God will never change his mind. He'll never change his will or his goodness or his love. He'll never become more perfect because logically that doesn't make any sense. And he'll never become less perfect because then he would be less than God. So he's eternal, he's self-existent, he's unchanging. God is also everywhere, which means he's present in all places at all times. There's nowhere that God cannot be. When we ask, where is God in this situation or where is God in that situation? The answer is always the same. He's there. God is everywhere. He's always with us and he's all knowing. That means God knows everything. He never learns anything because he already knows it. 
um, a well-known preacher called John Piper says it this way. I want to read this quote to you. God's knowledge is unfathomably deep. He knows all recorded facts, all the facts stored in all the computers and all the books in all the libraries of the world. But vastly more than that, he knows all events at the macro level, the broader, uh, wider level. All that happens on Earth and in the atmosphere and in the farthest reaches of space, in every galaxy and star and planet, and all events at the micro level, all that happens in molecules and atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons and quarks. He knows all their movements in every location and every condition of every particle of the universe, every nanosecond of time. When one event happens, he not only sees it, but he sees the eternal chain of events that flow from it and all the billions of events that are unleashed by every other event. He knows all of this without the slightest strain on his mind. That is what it means to be God. He knows our thoughts. He knows all future events. That's outrageous knowledge. It's wisdom beyond our understanding. And that's why we can say that God is all powerful. He's the only one in the universe who has complete power. Think about all the things that we've described, the molecules and the atoms and the vast reaches of space and a universe that is gigantic beyond our understanding. And it's all held together by God's power. Every Every breath and every heartbeat, it only happens because God sustains it with his power. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus or God sustains all things with his powerful word. So God is eternal. He's self-existent. He's unchanging. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And that's just a few of the things that we can describe God as. He's also totally holy, which means he's righteous and he's good in all that he does. He's literally the definition of love and every decision he makes comes from his loving, merciful and grace-filled nature. He's so majestic, so powerful, so wonderful, so terrifyingly great that we can't even possibly compare him to anything. In fact, God is so great that by comparing him to anything, did you know that we're actually limiting him? Uh, there, there are two really good quotes that I want to share here because they say it better than I ever could. You know, A theologian called Wayne Grudem, we recommended his book Systematic Theology last week. He says this, the difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and a candle. It's more than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop, more than the difference between the Arctic ice cap and a snowflake, more than the difference between the universe and the room that we're sitting in. God's being is qualitatively different. No limitation or imperfection in creation should be projected onto our thought of God. He is the creator. All else is creaturely. All else can pass away in an instant and he necessarily exists forever. So that's quite a complicated quote, but it's a really powerful one. Andrew Wilson, one of my all-time heroes, says something similar. He says, yes, he is larger than the mountains, but he's so much larger that the comparison is pretty meaningless. Yes, Jesus shines brighter than the sun, but he is so much brighter that the picture doesn't get us much closer to understanding him. Nothing in creation can be compared to God without making God seem far smaller than he is. I'm going to read that last bit again because that is so profound. Nothing in creation can be compared to God without making God seem far smaller than he is. Wow. 
You know, that might seem like a lot. We've talked about uh, just a few of God's attributes. And even then your head might be spinning because I know that mine is when you think about how great God is. And that's kind of the point. Like, Do you see that one of the most dangerous things we can ever do as humans is think that we get God, that we understand him. We don't. We can't. God is so much greater than we think. He is literally far greater than we could ever understand. You know, imagine that you'd been in your bedroom for your whole life and you'd never seen anything outside of it. So, you you know, no TV, no books, no people, just your bedroom. You'd probably know it pretty well, wouldn't you? You'd know the colour and the texture of your carpet. You'd know the marks on the wall or uh, you'd know the number of uh, ceiling tiles or whatever. I don't know. You might even climb up to look out of the window and you might have a really firm grasp on the houses around on the main road or the sky or even some trees. But, you know, if if after only being in that one bedroom, I asked you to describe the entire earth to me, you just couldn't. It would be impossible. If I asked you to describe the universe, you'd be even more lost. And even that is, you know, a kind of poor example of what it's like with God. We have uh, our, our little bedrooms of understanding that don't come close to helping us understand the, the greatness of God. He's so far beyond our understanding. He's eternal, self-existent, unchanging, everywhere at once, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, totally good, holy, righteous, and so much more. He is limitless in every area. And that's what leads us to God's sovereignty, which we'll talk about after the break. If you believe in the same God that I believe in, the God of the Bible, then he is so much greater than we could possibly comprehend. He is literally greater than we could understand. And here's the thing, he is also sovereign. In other words, he is free to do whatever he wants to do. So God's sovereignty is his freedom to exercise his power. Did you catch that? God's sovereignty is his freedom to exercise his power. So God's attributes, the stuff that we talked about in the last section, give him the absolute ability to do anything. But his sovereignty is the authority to do it. Or to put it another way, God's power, the stuff that we talked about in the last section, is the means to effect change. But his sovereignty is the right to do it. Okay, does that make sense? So God is far greater than we think. And because of that, he is totally qualified to have supreme authority over all creation. And the Bible is full of references to this aspect of God. But today we're going to focus on Romans 9. You know, so far in, in Romans 9, Paul has talked about how in the Old Testament, God seemed to favor some people over others, like, you know, Jacob over his twin brother Esau, for example. And that's really hard to understand, particularly for me as a twin. I'm, I, I'm like, what the heck? This, is, this doesn't seem fair. And then uh, if you start from verse 14 with me, we can see Paul's response. And, and today I'm going to read from the NLT version because I love the way that they've written this. Paul says this, are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. 
So it is God who decides who to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. So what does that passage tell us? Well, it tells us that God has total authority to choose who receives mercy and who receives compassion. You know, with humans, authority often invites abuse. and It's a sad but truthful reality. And the difference is that because of God's infinite goodness, we can completely trust him. So although he has uh, authority, there is no abuse because he is totally good and we can trust him. And it tells us this passage as well that we cannot work to earn or choose God's mercy and compassion. It's a gift. God's mercy and compassion is a gift of his grace. And it's a gift that we don't deserve, but one that he chooses to give us anyway. And this passage as well, if we were to read through it in, in much more detail, which we don't have time for today, but I really would recommend that you spend some time in Romans 9. It tells us that in light of the greatness of God that we've just talked about, we have absolutely no right as mere mortal humans to, to question his ways. And that's a challenge for us. We, we like to picture an omnipotent and all-powerful and all-knowing God. That's what that word essentially means. Uh, we like to picture this great big God with a human-sized brain, with our brains. And obviously that just doesn't work. To paraphrase uh, Jen Pollock Mikkel, God calls himself, I am that I am, not the I am that you wish me to be. I love that quote. I think that's so good. You know, in this passage that we've read, it tells us that when God doesn't show mercy, he's still patient because he is still a God of love and he's still good. And it's here that we have to remember that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That's what Romans 8.28 says. And Romans 9, again, I want to encourage you, read it again. Spend a couple of days reading this passage because it's so good. It reminds us that there is only one throne overall and it belongs to God. So often we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But what we really mean is my kingdom come, my will be done, or your kingdom come as long as it aligns with my expectations. And what we need to remember is that the God who is so far beyond our comprehension is thoroughly deserving of his place as the ruler of all things. He has total sovereign, that word, he has total sovereign right to rule over all things, including us. God is in total control and because he is all the things that we described earlier, we can completely and utterly 
trust that he will rule for the good of all creation, even if it might not seem like it at the time. So we've talked about the greatness of God and we've talked about his sovereignty. The big question, the most important question is what does that mean? What does it mean for us? So let's find out after the break. Okay, so God is great. He's greater than we think, and he is totally sovereign. He has total authority to exercise his power, but that leads us into some problems. If God is good and has total sovereign authority and control over all things at all times, what about free will? What about Annie's car crash? What about all the bad things we talked about at the beginning? Well, it's tricky. It gets hard here. And the the simple answer is there is no simple answer. The Bible is clear that God holds all things together and he's totally in control of the universe. The Bible tells us to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding and yet we have free will to make our own choices, good or or bad, and that God will use those choices inevitably for his glory. That's hard to understand. I don't know about you, but I find that really hard to get my head around. But I want to encourage you, don't be discouraged. You're as confusing as it can get. There are still a few ways that we can uh, learn and live in light of God's sovereignty, his authority over the universe. So firstly, we can live without fear. You know, when we have confidence in God's sovereign control, his authority over the universe, and confidence in his love for us. In other words, when we recognize that the God of infinite power is also the God of infinite love, we don't need to fear evil or harm. We can trust that because of the purposes of our good God, even the tough things that we don't understand will work out for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Even the tough things You know, I think Annie died on a Wednesday. I can't remember if it was a Wednesday or a Tuesday, but I know that the next day the church was decimated. There were people just in floods of tears, devastated by what had happened. Devastated. And there was a really hard decision to make. Do we run youth group or do we not run youth group? And, you know, Annie was passionate about that youth group. She'd, her, her last ever blog post she'd ever written was about how she was so excited about what God was doing in the midst of our youth group. So the youth pastor decided to run the youth group. And as a worship team, we decided that we would lead worship because what more could you do in those times than, than worship? And uh, the youth pastor shared her story and shared her last ever blog post and uh, then shared the gospel and how we could trust that she was in heaven with Jesus, which was what ultimately she wanted. You know, around 50 kids gave their lives to Jesus that night. 50 kids. And the next day we went on that missions trip. We went to Albania and we led worship all over the place and shared about Jesus. And we continued sharing Annie's story because it was so fresh. It was what we were going through in those moments. Some of the people in our worship team were her closest friends. Uh, and it was, it was rough. It was hard. We rehearsed for a funeral in Albania, but we continued to root it in the good news of Jesus and the hope that came with it. And over the course of that week, something like another hundred kids 
gave their lives to Jesus in light of her testimony and the, the wonder of the gospel. And to this day, I have never witnessed anything like it. Praise the Lord. Her funeral was full of people. We had a thousand seater auditorium and every seat was full. Praise the Lord for that. You know, God is so much greater than we think. And in his sovereignty, in his authority, he chose to allow Annie to die. In his sovereignty, he decided to bring Annie home to him early. I don't understand it. But he used it to transform the eternities of 150 people, at least. Think about that. It's beyond our comprehension, but yes, God does allow sicknesses and broken homes and political turmoil and poverty and injustice and even pandemics. But we can trust that when all is said and done, he will somehow in ways that we don't understand, use it for good. So friends, we can live without fear because God's purposes are always good. When people criticize or persecute us, we can live without fear, knowing that God is in total control and it's for his glory. You know, if you are desperately seeking approval of others, or if you're trying to achieve your way into recognition, if you're trying to control people's opinions of you, if you're trying to control your circumstances or finding value in your possessions, if you're trying to control the relationships around you, remember that God is the one in charge of the universe. God is the one on the throne. Don't try and steal it from him. He's the one with the value. He's the one with the authority. And that is a huge comfort. You know, we can rest in the knowledge that God is in control and we are not. But get this, as followers of Jesus, we are his children and he is on our side. So we don't have to have fear. So firstly, we don't have to have fear. Secondly, we can be confident in our salvation. We can be confident in our relationship with Jesus. Here's another truth. Because God is unchanging and sovereign, because of his authority, we can know that once we are saved, we will always be saved. We are all messed up, broken people caught in sin. But God sent his only son to take the punishment that we deserved, dying and rising again and ascending to be at the right hand of the Father, conquering sin and death and opening up a way for us to restore that eternal relationship with our heavenly Father that was lost. And you know what? That will never change. Nothing can overcome or defeat our all-powerful, all-loving, unchanging, sovereign God. He will never change his mind. Now that we have a relationship with God, now that we are saved by the power of the cross, we will always be saved. Isn't that great news? And finally, a proper perspective of God's greatness leads us to worship. You're understanding that God is all of those things we talked about and that he's sovereign, that he's greater than we think, what reaction can we possibly have but worship? You know, no longer do we have to worry about praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, and really mean my kingdom come, my will be done. Why would we? God is so much greater than we think. He has a much better plan than we do. He's infinitely more good and more loving than we can imagine, and he's in total control. Why would we do anything but worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords? You know, the God who doesn't just have the ability, but he also has the total authority to rule over all things. He deserves our praises. He deserves the glory. He deserves our hearts. You know, as you listen to this podcast, imagine if we lived 
fearless lives, totally confident of our salvation and constantly in awe of our heavenly father. If we lived those lives, the kind of lives that recognized the challenges and the struggles of this life, but trusted in God's good purposes to use it for his glory and for the good of those who love him. Wow, what a world we would live in. That sounds like the way to go. I want to live that way. And I want to share that faith with people, don't you? So that's That's it for today's episode of the Simple Faith Podcast. We've talked about God's sovereignty and we've tried to answer some really tough questions. Next week, we're going to look at a new churchy word for normal people. Uh, We're looking at sanctification. And uh, until then, you can find us on Instagram at Simple Faith Podcast or Facebook, the same place, or head to simplefaithpodcast.com for show notes. Have an amazing week. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to this podcast each week and we will speak to you very soon. Bye.